We made it to the end of 2023. It's been a great year for the podcast, and we're thankful for each one of you who are part of our listening community. Our goal at Into the Harvest is to help you live for Jesus and make disciples for Him in the everyday places of life. This year, we've had some amazing guests who gave us insights on how to do that. So we thought we'd end 2023 by highlighting some of those conversations. This week, we've got clips from John Snyder, Janelle Sherman, and Cecil Bean. John shared with us secrets to learning the Bible for a lifetime. Janelle explained how your marriage can become Christ-centered. And Cecil revealed 10 principles we can imitate from Jesus on how to make disciples. Links to the full episode with each guest are in the description. I hope they encourage you. Motivations are tough. Like, so just throw the disclaimer out there and then we'll dive in on it that you, know, you dig far enough, you're going to come up with a pretty poor motive at the bottom of me, you mm-hmm. know? So mm-hmm. I, I might have some pure motives, but there's not a whole lot of them. Right. God's still trying to turn up the fire and give some pure ones. Right. But so, but I do think why we get involved in it matters. And and to be perfectly honest, I think the why, what, what motivates me to do it is, is that um, really you and others like you convinced me that God wanted to use my life. Hmm. Um, like you're saying, so having the confidence to be a disciple and make disciples, what hmm. this ministry is all about is God wants to use you. And then that should be probably a little bit sobering. He wants to use yeah. me like, I don't think I'm even usable. Like, what could I give away? <laughs> what do I have? And, and, you know, it didn't take but two or three times for me to walk through the barracks or walk over to the to the to the mall where they like have food course to, to watch you use the Bible as you talk with soldiers. You know, when I'm 21 years old and I'm watching you share the scriptures with other people, I thought, wow, th- this is how God is using Andrew. Mm. Andrew knows the word. And it, it always felt like there was no one can answer you, could ask you a question you didn't know the answer to. You're like, wow, holy cow. And it was always, <laughs> that was your was impression. Verse, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, maybe you're nervous. I don't, it never felt like you were. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but the reality was there, it was always back to the scriptures and really the scriptures spoke for themselves. So the, the motive at the beginning for me was, man, I really think God wants to use my life and I want to mm. be used of God. And, you know, I know I'll be most fulfilled when I do the thing for which I was created, which was to honor and glorify the Lord. Right. But boy, was I clueless on how that worked. How could I ever share my faith or share who God is? And then I just watched a whole gang of you all, 40 or 50 people in a room, every single person reading their Bible, had verses memorized constantly in the scriptures. And then when we went out in public and we talked with whether it was waiters or waitresses or soldiers, wherever they were, it was hey, what do you think about this Bible verse? Or what about this concept about God? Or if Mm. people ask you questions, there is always this readily available verse to say, hey, this is a truth of the scriptures. Mm -hmm. So the the confidence of a disciple maker comes from the Holy Spirit of the scriptures. Right. You're just going to run out of like pithy sayings and kind of cool ways to say things. But the Bible never runs out, right? So that motivation started for me with, wow, God wants to use my life first step in that is I got to get to know God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, um, 
like you said, mo- mo- motives can get a little tricky and, and none of us have 100% pure motives, but, and you can have multiple motives, which I think is actually yeah. not only normal, but it's advisable. So there yeah. are, there are times where I am not motivated to spend time in scriptures. And, and it's, it's times like that where I, I need to be motivated, even if it's from maybe a negative direction, you know, like when, when Peter told Jesus, where else shall we go? You have words of eternal life. It, it was not, um, it doesn't come across as a high motivation moment on Peter's <laughs> part, but it's like, well, yeah. Hey, what else is there? So I'm going to do this. I'm going to stay with Jesus. I'm going to stick close. I'm going to continue to listen. Even when I'm, I'm hearing him give teachings that don't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to stick it out. And I, I, so I think multiple motivations is good. Um, but you know, yes, God wants to use our lives. I would maybe even expand that a little bit to say, you know, you're going to find your purpose in life when it comes into alignment with, with God's purpose. So God is Amen. doing something on the earth today, and it's all revol- revolving around his son, Jesus. Uh, Jesus is active on the earth today. He's building his church. Um, he's still calling men and women to, to follow him. Um, and, and become his disciples. And so when you and I discover that God wants, you know, Jesus wants us to join him in this work that he's doing, you're right. It is, it is a, uh, it's a very life giving thing. <laughs> and I think it's what's designed to be because we're actually, yep. we're actually the branches getting tied into the vine We're we're learning how to walk with Jesus as we go through life. And, you know, a, a big part of that is learning to, to listen and sit at his feet. And a big part of that is opening the scriptures, you know, putting ourselves, you and I have talked about this before that for the first disciples, when Jesus said, follow me, it had a very immediate, um, obvious sense that they were to stop what they were doing. Again, I actually just read this this morning too, uh, because I just started Mm -hmm. the gospel of uh, of Mark and Jesus calls four fishermen. And, you know, I circled in my Bible that they had to leave the thing that they were doing because it was, in their case, it was a physical necessity that if they were going to follow Jesus, they were going to have to physically put themselves in his presence. And in a way, I've always thought that that was encouraging because you and I have a very similar challenge that, that as long as we're not physically willing to, to open this book, this is a physical act, and, and begin to read and begin to put ourselves where we can hear God speak, how are you going to follow? Like, how, how are you going to answer that first call of Jesus, Amen. which is to follow him? Yeah, it's really good. It, it, you know, it seems like it started little by little. I just thinking it back for, for our, you know, in this instance, I'd grown up going to church. I, I describe it as kind of like a mandatory formation home, you know, like when the church doors open, we were there. I literally was at the church all of the time. Both of my parents loved the Lord. Um, my dad, my, my, most common memory of my dad was every morning, the Bible, prayer, mm. coffee, and peanut butter toast. Every morning I got out of bed to go to school. My dad was already up. He was already reading the Bible, coffee, and peanut butter toast every morning. This is not an exaggeration. <laughs> That's know. awesome. Um, and so they, he really modeled that for me. You know, I was so dumb. I never did it. You know, like, Hey dad, can I join you in the morning? Like, this is like, mm. like I'm thinking now, like, what am I doing? You know, I had this opportunity hmm. to be with my dad in the morning and spend time with scriptures, <laughs> but it's really interesting. What I noticed first when I met when I met you, Andrew, was hey, come to this Bible study, 
and do your Bible study. (laughs) Right. It it wasn't even, um, it wasn't even like, Hey, we're going to give you this deep dive in the Bible in every single way. And you're going to do this, 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 and this, and this, it wasn't this gigantic list. It was, Hey, we want to put this Bible study in your hand. And Mm. we really want to challenge you to do this Bible study. And then we'll talk about what God taught you when you come back next week. So there's a couple of weeks of that, you know, so right. most people walk away and they put the Bible study away and they never look at it. And they come, if they come back the next week, they're like, oh yeah, there was this Bible study I was supposed to do. Right. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. but once, you know, there was a habit established of doing something once a week with the Bible, then it was, Hey, can I just share with you something that I do every day to mm. spend time with God in the scriptures? And the kind of the real next step was, well, once a week to once every day. Right. And it was, you know, well, how about as a part of that Bible study, you would memorize a verse that goes along with that topic to help you remember that if you were ever to teach it to somebody else down the road. Right. It became pretty quick, like, oh, man, all these Bible verses that that they're giving me in these Bible studies. That's all the verses that Andrew's talking about when we're out in public. Like, oh, that's why I feel like he knows every (laughs) Bible verse in the Bible. That's right. Yeah. You did know a whole bunch. But anyway, I just I think there was this little by little by little. Um, and every single time we were together, it was, what is God, what has God taught you out of the word? It was just so inspiring to know that I could g- have things going on in my life and go to the scriptures and God would answer and say a specific thing directly from the scriptures, hmm. you know, and, and there was this old timer, um, and he, he would share testimonies about what God was doing. And he would always kind of had this, he had this phrase, he, he said, uh, what an amazing coincidence. <laughs> no, what an amazing God. Do you remember this? Yeah. Was, yeah. And it was just, uh, yeah, this happened to me um, Friday night. I was hanging out with a guy and we're talking about kind of life issues and what's going next and how do we make decisions. And hmm. he talked about Psalm 90 at the very end of Psalm 90, two verses. The yep. very next day in my quiet time is hmm. Psalm 90. Hmm. What an amazing coincidence. Right. Nah. What an yeah. amazing God. So I just think when we're talking about those starting points, it's being around people who will help you take baby steps to making the Bible a very normal part of your life. Um, right. Where eventually you wouldn't dream about making a decision without saying, where's the Bible talk about that? Or what is God saying me out? God saying to mm. me out of the word. And yeah. for me, it started with Bible study which was once a week, then it moved to, I'm going to do scripture memory, maybe add a Bible verse. Then it was, Hey, this is something I do every day to meet with God in a quiet time. Mm-hmm. I'm spending time. And I don't know if you remember this, it was this little yeah. pamphlet that we use seven minutes with God. Yep. Like, Oh man, I can do seven minutes. I can do seven minutes right. with God. Why can't I do seven minutes? You know, <laughs> it was very, very like a, a normal part. And now, only getting seven minutes to be like, oh man, I just was totally cheated hmm. in my time with God. But it was, it was very gradual. It was very helpful and it just became normal part of life. Yeah. You know, I think, um, you know, I'm discerning just some things that I, I want to spotlight for folks who are listening or watching. So the first one that I'm taking away just from this conversation and, and some of what you've already shared is, is to find people who are already rightly dividing the scriptures or who at least are seeking, they're, they're being diligent to become those kinds of people. And, and if you're exposed to someone like that, 
that's a person that you should be committing yourself to, to be around, get to know, become friends with, become running partners with in the faith, because you're right. You know, all of us are greatly influenced by the people that are around us. And uh, I've seen that in my own life when I've, when I've gone to a new location where we're just getting established and we're, we're meeting new people. Oftentimes my, my, time and consistency in the scriptures will suffer. And I think in a large part, it's because of that, that, that no matter how far along you are in your faith, we all need, you know, that, that community and not just other believers, but other believers who are being diligent to present themselves approved to God. So, you know, find people who have that commitment and then really commit yourself to them. And then um, secondly, you know, take, take those baby steps that all of us have to learn the mechanisms of, of um, learning how to spend time with, with Jesus. So it's, you know, it would be one thing to spend time with Peter and Andrew and James and John and hear them talk about their, what they were learning from Jesus and, you know, how exciting that would be. But if they were saying like, Hey, why don't you come with us? Why don't, why don't you come and you can, spend time with Jesus yourself. You can learn from him yourself. Like, I mean, what, uh, how crazy would it be <laughs> to not do that, to just be like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm fine with just learn listening to you guys and hearing what you've been learning from Jesus. And, and yet so many times as believers, um, even if we start that way, which is okay, it's okay to start that way where you're, maybe you're around people who are excited about their faith and they're learning from the scriptures, but ultimately we want to become those people who are um, spending time with Jesus and, and learning how to, to get into the scriptures for ourselves. Hey friends, it's Andrew and John for Into the Harvest. Our mission is to inspire and resource God's people to live the ancient faith in modern life. We want you to be a disciple and make disciples of Jesus in every nook and cranny of the world that we live in. 2023 has been a great year of growth for this ministry, and we've got big plans for 2024. So we're here today asking for your help. Our year-end fundraiser is happening now, and you can help us finish strong and launch us into the new year. If you believe in this work and it's helped you this year, would you consider making a donation today? There's a link in the show notes to this episode, and every gift matters. So thanks for being part of our community and helping grow this mission. You've done a lot of work with couples. What, what are some of the top factors? This could be a long list. So what are some of the things that you find yourself coming back to again and again with couples? Things that are either misconceptions or practices that are destroying the marriages that, that you see in our culture today? Yeah, I mean, I definitely see, you know, like I said, the number one thing really is that selfishness um, because the world is telling you to elevate yourself and it's all about you. And God is telling you to love him and love people um, and, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, kind of put them first. And so I think it just goes back to knowing the truth. You know, number one, I think a lot of people don't know what's true and have gotten things just, you know, misconstrued. Um, and I think also the three main issues God's shown me, which is why I wrote a course that's coming out this summer, but it's commitment, communication, and connection. Those are the three kind of C's that he's given me. Um, and so I think that that's kind of the big issues that I'm seeing. You know, there's a commitment issue. 
um, where the people aren't really recognizing that honestly, this marriage covenant is between me and God. So if God has called me to respect my husband, um, I don't just respect him when he's earned it or when I think I should. It's I respect him because God has told me to respect my husband. And it's the same thing with the husband. You know, he doesn't just love his wife when he's feeling respected, when things are going well in the relationship, you know, oh, she respects me. She makes me feel like I'm the man. I'm awesome. So yeah, I'm going to love her and, and fill her love tank. No, we love because Christ loved us and we love because it's obedience to God. So I think it goes back to that commitment and really reminding ourselves that first and foremost, our allegiance is to God. And um, I've got to give an account to him. And also that God has entrusted me with this spouse. And, you know, he expects a return on his investment. You know, I'm, I'm going to give this guy better back better to the Lord than I've received him. So I'm trying to, you know, constantly view how can I help my husband make him, you know, I like to say, how can I make him awesome sauce? You know, how can I make <laughs> Nathan the best that he can be, you know, how can I help him to follow the Lord as hard as he can follow him? How can I help him to excel in the work that God's given him to do? And how can I help him to love me better? You know? And so just going back to that, that commitment and then looking at, um, the communication, I think communication is huge, especially in the day, this day of technology, everybody is on their phone and um, so many people that I coach, one of their number one things is that their spouse is on their phone. Their spouse yeah. is distracted, whether it's yeah. legit, like my husband, he gets off of work and he still has clients in, in Hawaii and other, other states that are on a different time zone than us in Florida. So he legitimately has to be on his phone um, after he gets home from work to handle things because he is the breadwinner right now. I'm, I'm pursuing this ministry. I'm doing other things, thank God, and, and his income matters. So I don't want to get on him about being on his phone. But the reality is, is if he chooses to do that day in and day out, we're not going to have good communication. And so, you know, it goes back to looking at our boundaries, uh, talking about what are our boundaries with our phones, with our um, all kinds of areas, you know, in our lives. We can get into a long conversation on that, <laughs> but really having the communication that's necessary. A lot of people aren't even talking. And the communication that they're having is very bad communication. Um, it's usually negative communication, critical communication, or very short and um, about things that have to get done, you know, kind right. of more like technical uh, information. And then lastly, that connection. A lot of people have, you know, uh, not developed that connection and just taking a look at the, you know, all the different levels of intimacy. Obviously, sex is one of them. There are a lot of people in sexless marriages, but also looking at other areas of intimacy, emotional intimacy, spiritual intimacy, and, you know, cultivating that intimacy within their marriage. You know, are they praying together? Are they reading God's word together? Are they in community of like-minded people spurring them on? You know, um, what company are they keeping? You know, just all of those things uh, really affect your, you know, those three different areas of your marriage. What, how your viewpoint of communication, your connection, and, and your commitment level. Um, so just kind of looking at those three main areas are what I feel God has shown me. I can kind of lump everything kind of into those three main categories roughly. 
Yeah, I love that. You know, the the commitment, the um, communication and the connection. And I know that you do have more resources that folks can check out at your website. I'll, I'll definitely make sure to put all of that in the show notes to this episode. If folks are interested in connecting more with you, either to get coaching or to go through some of the courses and online resources that you have, then um, that'll be available in in the links here. So I'm going to throw you a little bit of a (laughs) curveball. So uh, what I I, I do think that um, intimacy is, is such a challenge. And some of the people that I, I know who are struggling in marriage in many cases, um, it's it's because only one partner seems committed to working on the marriage. So maybe someone listening to this is is thinking to themselves, well, OK, I'm on board. Um, I am committed. I want to be better connected to my spouse. Um, I want better communication. But right now, it feels at least to me that I'm the only one. It's a one sided thing. So. What what words would you have to share with someone who's in that kind of a scenario? I would encourage that person to remember who God is and um, remember who we are in Christ and remember who we are to each other, you know, and that has made all the difference for me because I was in that situation. I was divorce minded. I wanted to leave my relationship, you know, my marriage, and I ended up you know, coming to the well after 20 invitations and realized that, um, I was constantly looking, waiting for him to do something different, hoping for him to do something. And going to that first conference renovated gave me like that empowerment of realizing that if I surrendered myself, uh, to God and I allowed him to do the work in me, And I began praying, you know, for my spouse and trusting God with the results. And I started doing that in 2012. We, you know, we did not have a wedding ring. We were done. I just started attending the well. I went to that conference in the fall and that opened my eyes to my role as a helpmate, what it looked like for me to be my husband's helpmate, what it looked like for me to submit, how submission was my power in my marriage and how sex protected my marriage. So it went over your purpose as a helpmate, your power, uh, you know, which is submission, and your protection, which was sex. Those are the three main topics covered. And I began to apply those things that I learned. Without my husband, he was not, he didn't attend the conference. He didn't, you know, feel called to start changing himself, even though I shared all the information with him, thinking, oh, yeah, he should hear this, right? But nothing was changing for him. But I kept on doing my part. I kept on. I wasn't saying if he did this, you know, oh, you know, I wasn't doing it for a little while to see if he would start doing something and then quit because he wasn't joining. I just continued trusting God, just doing my part for almost a decade now. And every time I've attended the conference every two years or so and go over the material and I come back and me and my husband would have conversations about it and I would share with him what I was going to begin implementing and things I felt God calling me to change. And I began changing those things and I continued to pray for my husband and I continued to uh, surround us with couples that I thought 
we're healthy. Like I said, that we're, we're in a good place that I admired that I wanted us to be like, and he began, I believe, you know, picking up some of those things from those men. He began talking to some of those guys. He began, um, going to coffee and and having meetings with those guys, um, and, and seeing them on his own time. And God began to do that work. You know, I can't change my husband. God can only do that, but I can change myself and I can choose my responses, um, you know, regardless of my husband's words, regardless of his actions, I still was able to choose my responses. And I did that for probably a good six years um, before I began to see some fruit um, in my husband. And to be frank and honest, like when I first started attending that conference, one of the things we had to fill out on that survey was, you know, do you want sex more than your husband or your husband wants sex more than you? And it was like, I wanted it more than my husband. And, and, and I was a, a rare like unicorn at that time at that conference, because most women were saying, oh, I have headache or I am just not in the mood. or I've had the worst day with the kids. Like I just not today, maybe tomorrow. And just all these, you know, almost every, almost, most of the women at the conference were were like not you know wanting to have sex if anything and I was the opposite so coming into that I just thought this is like hopeless like these people can't even relate to me you know (laughs) so it was like a hard journey for me and and of prayer and all of that but honestly six years later I mean my husband began pursuing me he began initiating like intimacy completely like changed because he saw God's design. He began to listen to me. Like I said, it took six years of me explaining how sex protects our marriage for him to understand how sex protects the marriage and how important it was to God and how it was his design. And, and he began to make changes in that area. It was the same thing with our communication. You know, I had to learn what his temperament was. He had to learn about my temperament and it took years of us learning about each other's temperaments and how he's very task oriented. He is very task oriented and he is not people oriented at all. So I honestly, like he didn't even see me. He didn't even see people. He has very few relationships in general. It's just how he's wired, how God wired him. And he's very productive person, a very efficient person, a very detail oriented person. And he does so many amazing things with those gifts and talents and abilities. But one of his, gifts and talents is not, you know, forming relationships and, and all of that. So I've been able to, to, to learn that about him. So therefore I'm not offended. It's not that he doesn't want to have a relationship with me. It's not that he doesn't, you know what I mean? It's how he's wired and same thing with him. He was able to learn. I'm not detail oriented. I like to have fun. I'm more spontaneous. And so, you know, I had to tighten up a little bit. He had to loosen up a little bit, you know, and we started to figure out our communication and we started to figure out our love languages and we were doing it all wrong. You know, I was trying to love him by doing things all these acts of service and all these positive words. Cause I'm, I'm a firmer. I'm like, Oh, you look great today. I love your outfit. And Oh, you're doing such a great job. And then I'll bring you a meal and I'll, you know, do things. I'm just acts of service and words of affirmation. And, and he wasn't feeling anything, you know, his love language come to find out was quality time. And that was the last thing I was doing. I was spending no time with him because I was so busy and so affirming, you know, I I thought I was filling him up, but he wasn't. And it was the same for me. And so now I, you know, I was able to, through learning all that and through communicating, just sit with him 
you know, just sit. And, and, and if he's watching the TV show and he's so happy. You have 10 things here that I'm going to read through. Mm. Um, these are 10 ways that Jesus showed us how to multiply. And so we've got this mission. Jesus has come back to, to restore and upgrade it. And there are 10 ways that Jesus has showed us how we can be part of this and, and multiply as well. And you called this keeping the vision of multiplication alive when you shared this a few months back. Um, and you really see this as a message that you want to give the remainder of however much time the Lord gives you. That this is what you want to stay focused on. Is that yes, right? Yes, uh, this is my uh, going to be my last emphasis. Uh, I shall carry this to the end. So I, I hope people will. Um, I mean, they may or may not, but I, I I appreciate the fact that you're someone who's been following Jesus uh, faithfully for sixty years. And this is a message that you believe that, that God wants you to help us get, get clear so that we can live out for those of us who are in the, the next generation. So I'm going to read these 10 things, these 10 ways that Jesus um, has shown us how we can multiply. And then we're only going to be able to focus on a few of them. But let me just read through them at a, at a, at a shot here. So first, Jesus commanded us to follow his example. John 13, 15, I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Secondly, Jesus summarized the Old Testament so that there would be no question on what God was trying to say. We see that in Matthew 7, the, the summary commanded, the summary commandment, love God with all your heart, but then specifically love your neighbor as yourself, that that was the way Jesus summarized the Old Testament. He also showed us the greatest commandment. They asked him, what's the greatest? And he told them, love the Lord your God with all your heart. So that's number three. Number four, Jesus gave us one last new commandment in John 13. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. So you also must love one another. It's, it's essential that you know who, who he's talking to there. He's talking to his 11 faithful disciples. And he's telling those 11, the new commandment is, do for the next generation what I did for you. Specifically, you 11 are called to go out and do the same thing with the next 11, so to speak. That's the fourth, the new commandment. The fifth is that he showed us how to multiply our fruit. And you, you describe this as healthy orphans. So we're going to come back and talk about that one. But that one's in John 4, 38, where Jesus sends out the 12 and he tells them, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored, others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Number six, Jesus showed us how to select the kind of people to train. This is from Matthew 10 and the corresponding passage in Luke where he sends out the disciples two by two, and he tells them to look for a worthy person when, he in, when they enter a village. And if they can't find one, leave the village. <laughs> so how to select the kind of people to train. Seventh, he showed us the timetable, how long it would take. Now, this one's more inference, but we know Jesus spent three years of concentrated time with the disciples that he trained. It was not a quick overnight thing. Seventh, he showed us the timetable. Oops, I just did that one. Eighth, 
He showed us the age bracket to fish for. Jesus trained young people. Ninth, he showed us how to follow up and train disciples. Life on life, not through programs. And then finally, 10, and there's more than this. This is not exhaustive, but these are 10 that you, you quickly focused on Jesus showing us how to multiply. The 10th is that he left us a personified manual. Uh, and you, you mentioned that a picture is worth a thousand words. And so with Jesus, we have this demonstrated life that we can go, th- that we can go to. Uh, and I, I, I truly believe that that's what guided the disciples, that first generation of, of disciples who, as they went out um, and they ran into new, new circumstances, new challenges as, as the gospel was spreading and the church was growing, they could think back, you know, did Jesus teach on this? Did Jesus refer to this? And so Jesus really was their blueprint, but he was, he was also ours. So those are the 10 I really want to start with that last one, that a picture is worth a thousand words and that in Jesus we have a, a personified manual. Again, if folks want a deeper dive, they can go back and listen to that conversation that we had. I'll put a link in the show notes here. But what, um, what do you think people often miss in the modern church when it comes to this specific point of Jesus being our personified manual? I think we look at the Bible I think these early disciples uh, were, were looking at the culmination of, of the Old Testament. It wasn't that they weren't excluding the Old Testament. I read the Old Testament every morning. Uh, there's all kind of value in it in terms of the character of God and the consequences and, and uh, things that are left out of the Gospels. But... Uh, uh, I think they were following, uh, it's so much easier to follow an example as to try to figure out a principle. And so uh, I've, I've got a verse that, I, I, that, that uh, communicates this to me. And I think they were, they were tracking what Jesus was teaching and tracking uh, the way he lived. And this verse is in 2 John uh, 9 and 10. And it says, anyone who wanders away from the teaching of Christ has no relationship with God. This is the uh, NLT version. I mean, it's clear that if you leave this teaching, you can't have the, you can't have the kind of relationship with God you'd like. But anyone who remains in the teaching of Christ has a relationship with both the Father and the Son. And then verse 10, if anyone comes to your meeting and does not teach the truth about Christ, uh, don't invite that person into your home or give him any kind of encouragement. I mean, that's, if this is true, if they they were narrow. Now, it wasn't that they weren't reading the Old Testament also, but they were interpreting the Old Testament in light. It's like doing a puzzle and, and you have the picture of the puzzle and you got all these pieces and you're, you're looking at the puzzle and, and you're looking at the picture and that's an eye that's going to go right there in the middle. And so they had this picture of what they were uh, working toward. And, uh, but I, think we're, I don't think we have this picture in front of the 10,000 pieces of, of a puzzle. And I think it leaves us... Uh, it makes it difficult for us to figure out exactly what God is thinking about. And he's thinking about developing more Christs. 
And we think he's trying to get more people into the kingdom. And, and not that everybody thinks that, but we have different opinions that may vary from what God is thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this, uh, people may hear that they, it may seem radical, but this is a pretty mainstream view of, of what scholars, how scholars view the, the value structure of early, early Christians that, that they received the old Testament scriptures as the word of God that, that pointed them to the Messiah who they understood was Jesus. Uh, but the highest regard was the words of Jesus that they received from the apostles. And so if you were an early Christian in Corinth and you had old Testament scripture and you had an apostle who was sharing with you the teachings of Jesus, it was no question what you wanted to learn. You wanted to learn the teachings of Jesus that this apostle was, was sharing with you. And, and then those teachings were what informed and helped make sense of the old Testament scriptures. So they were not, um, they're all divine in the sense that, uh, they, so they all have divine, uh, origin. They're all God breathed, but they were not equal in, in emphasis, in emphasis. It was the teachings of Jesus. And that's why you would see a passage, a story like Jesus, um, saying not what uh, goes into a man defiles him, but what comes out of a man. And the reason that story made it into the gospel of Mark 30 years after, it had been passed down orally for 30 years because it was so helpful because people were trying to figure out, well, I've got these Old Testament passages that say I should only eat certain things. Well, Jesus once taught, he once taught something about what comes out of a man is what defiles a man. And that's why you see there, if you have the red letter Bibles in that passage in Mark, you see Jesus talking and there's a little black set of words with a parentheses. Mm-hmm. Thus he declared all foods clean. Mm. That's why that story was told is because they were trying to figure out how to live faithfully. And they had these Old Testament scriptures, but they understood them in light of the teachings of Jesus, which had preeminence. And then the New Testament is just an expounding on the person and the words of Jesus. So I think think what I hear you saying, and you can uh, clarify this before we move on to the next one, what I hear you saying is that we can't just treat all the Bible with the same emphasis that in Jesus, we have the, all of this is God's revelation, but in Jesus, we have the ultimate revelation. We have the, the living embodiment that he is, uh, has it say that he is the exact representation of his nature. So in Jesus, we can see this flawless model of God, God with us, God in the flesh. And so we, we start with him. That's, uh, I, I think, I think what the Old Testament was trying to produce is what Jesus is. Mm. And so uh, we don't want to, uh, I have, I've been criticized that I'm, I'm playing down the black letters and playing up the red letters. But I don't mean to do that at all. I mean to say that the red letters are interpreting the black letters. They are the answer to what the black letters are seeking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Paul says this in Ephesians 2.20, that, uh, that everything, as you, I think you mentioned earlier, everything is aligned by him. So when, when I read something in the Old Testament, I want to immediately look in, uh, at the New Testament. Am I supposed to offer a, 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 an animal when I sin? 
No, no. First John one nine. Uh, he was that animal. So the, that he is he is fulfilling, and he is the symbolism and the ceremonialism. Uh, he is fulfilling those things, and now uh, and so he's going to re he's going to embody and re, and reiterate. Uh, what was true in the Old Testament. And then, and, and so we don't want to get lost in the New Testament either. The New Testament is merely uh, Paul's and the apostles' assignment mm-hmm. to, to take this to the rest of the world. 